You're listening to the podcast of Trinity Grace Church Park Slope for Sunday, January 19th, 2020. In this week's episode, founding pastor Caleb Clardy teaches from Luke chapter 4. Please note, because of an unexpected technical issue, the first few minutes of this sermon have been re-recorded. Thanks for listening. The teaching text for today is from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 4, verses 14 through 21. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I want you to go there with me in your imagination for a moment into the text we just heard. Jesus has come back to his hometown. He's gone to worship with his family and friends. Uh, The time comes in the normal flow of the service where someone is going to read from the law or the prophets and then make a comment. Now, anyone from the congregation, um, uh, any male from the congregation might have been invited to do this, but making a new Uh, comment or a new interpretation or a new sort of theological revelation about uh, uh, a text from the Torah or from the prophets was a role that was reserved for the rabbis. And yet Jesus does this, even uh, as he, even though he grew up as a, as, um, you know, likely as a stonemason or his family was in construction, he reads from this uh, familiar hundreds of year old prophecy and it makes massive claims and then he says something pretty startling and um, and actually that's not the thing that people freak out about. So just quickly to see uh, what this hundred year old prophecy says, uh, the spirit of the Lord is on me. The spirit has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, set the oppressed f- free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What a list, a profound sort of description of the resolutions of Jesus, the uh, scope of what his ministry uh, is going to be about. Everyone in the synagogue would have been expecting Jesus to make a comment on this passage to to shed some light on it, to help them understand it or trust it. Uh, I think they would have been expecting something like a sermon or a teaching. Uh, But it says, then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. Enough has happened in Jesus' life up to this point that they were very interested in what he had to say. Uh, It says news about him had spread through the whole countryside. People were praising him. And so they're fastened on him. They're ready to hear what he has to say. 
And interestingly, if you skip ahead, uh, the results are <laughs> startling, uh, shocking. I have given some bad sermons in my life. This one ends with people trying to kill him, uh, not in an orderly way. They don't send an assassin. They try right there to throw him off a cliff. Uh, so it's interesting to ask the question, what does Jesus say that incenses them so much? And I think there are a few things, but he begins like this. He began, this is Luke four twenty one. he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That is the sermon that people are going to get so worked up about that they throw Jesus off a cliff. And it begins with, what you've read about and heard, what you're expecting is happening, and it is happening in me. It is happening with me. If you want to put it another way, Jesus is saying, I am the sermon. I am the sermon. I am. Jesus is saying, I am the fulfillment of what God has been promising, has promised through the prophet. So I know this may feel remedial, but just to go back, let's be clear, see again what the list says, what the prophet had said in this poem. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. The Spirit has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, if you look at that list, what is going to be done is very impressive. Good news, euangelion, gospel, salvation, the kingdom of God is going to be proclaimed and is not just going to go to the wealthy and the haves and the important ones and and the ones you might expect. It's going to go to the poor and the have-nots and the forgotten ones. In fact, the rich are the important ones are often going to struggle to admit that they need it at all. Freedom is going to be proclaimed to those who are imprisoned physically, emotionally, spiritually. Freedom is going to pour out. Uh, recovery of sight to the blind. People who can't see are going to see. We see this in Jesus' ministry. People who had no vision for their life or the world or the story they were in are going to be swept up in new possibilities. Oppressed people are going to be released and relieved. They're not simply going to be trampled by the powers that be. They're going to be given their dignity and freedom. God's favor, which no one could claim they had a right to or deserved, is going to be lavishly given away as a free gift. All of these things are going to happen presently, immediately. They have already begun. They are being fulfilled. And if you look at the remainder of Jesus' public ministries in the Gospels, and you look at what his followers take up and do in his name throughout the rest of the New Testament, this is what you're going to see. Salvation, freedom, healing, mercy, love, and favor. What a list. But I want you to look at, back at the list one more time and see these top two. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. The Spirit has anointed me. There are things that are going to happen in this list, but there are at least two that are already fully at work right in that moment, right in the synagogue, right as Jesus is talking. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. The Spirit has anointed me. Salvation, freedom, healing, mercy, love, and favor are going to happen, but already the Spirit of the Lord is on me. The Spirit has anointed me. The beauty and scope of Jesus' ministry flowed out of this truth, this reality, that he is filled with the Holy Spirit. Anyone who's going to participate in the life of Jesus, the salvation of Jesus, the type of things that Jesus was about, the ministry that Jesus is going to do, is going to have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We have to be the Holy Spirit people. It is what made Jesus who he is. It is what makes us who we are that we have and are filled with the Holy Spirit.
We're the Jesus people, we're the Bible people, we're the Holy Spirit people. No, the Holy Spirit is the way we experience God. The, the, whole, the Holy Spirit is not bonus Christianity for people who like worship music. It's not an option for certain denominations. It's not bonus Christianity for people who like worship music. It's not reserved for certain types. It's not like certain types of people get the Holy Spirit and the rest of us sort of muddle along. The Holy Spirit is not reserved for the touchy-feely types who, who, are, uh, who are more intuitive. The Holy Spirit is for every one of us. It is the way we access life with God. The Holy Spirit ministers the life of Christ to us. The Holy Spirit makes our salvation possible. The Holy Spirit empowers the ministry of Jesus in Jesus' life and in Brooklyn in 2020. The Holy Spirit is the way the life of Jesus is lifted up in an individual, in a community, in a city. So, salvation, freedom, healing, mercy, love, and favor. That's what Jesus is going to be about. And how is he going to accomplish it? He is filled by the Holy Spirit, and his followers are going to be filled by the Holy Spirit. At the very end of his life, in Matthew 28, he gathers his closest friends, those who have been walking with him, and he says, I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Somehow I want you to immerse them in Trinity... Father, Yahweh, sending his son the perfect reflection of his deity in bodily form who lives a life and dies a death and, and, and raises to a new way of being human, offers salvation to us. And the way we experience that is, is not the Nazarene himself in the flesh walking with us. The way we experience that is the spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God filling our lives now. It is how we experience it. I know this is basic and most of you know it, but I want you to remember it with all your might today. This is how we experience God. Jesus said the Holy Spirit was on him, the Spirit anointed him. Now, I believe you're with me, I believe you get it, but the gospel writer Luke will not let us miss this. Each of the gospels have a slightly different emphasis, like Matthew is written uh, to, you know, in particular to a Jewish audience. It's a recreation of Torah. It has these five large sections of Jesus' teaching. It is, it is written to show, like in a sense, a new constitution, a new, a new, a new fulfillment of the law being given to Israel. Luke, the doctor, uh, is, is writing to this, this nobleman, and he particularly emphasizes the work and power of the Holy Spirit in his gospel. So we have some thrilling places to go in just a few minutes, but I want you to walk with me really, really quickly through a couple of scriptures just to see how Luke continues to emphasize the Holy Spirit. We'll, we'll go so fast. So at the birth of Jesus and around it, the Holy Spirit comes up over and over again. I'm just gonna read these passages and make no comments so that you kind of see what's going on. So at the birth of Jesus... The angel to Mary, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Later, when Mary meets her cousin Elizabeth, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, Luke 141, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. A little bit later, John the Baptist, uh, Elizabeth and Zachariah's son, 
His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed him. This is the first thing he says after several months of silence because he doubts when the angel tells him that he's going to have a child. Um, I said I wasn't going to comment. I, I lied slightly. So the last one, around, around the birth. This is just a little later. This is after Jesus has come on the scene. His parents are taking him to the temple for a fairly uncomfortable procedure. It says, there, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. The gospel writer Luke will not let us miss that the activity of the Holy Spirit is all in the birth narrative of Jesus. But as we move on, we come just a little bit later to one of the first public scenes we see Jesus in, and it's at his baptism. Luke 3, 21. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. As he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my son, with whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Now, I said I wasn't going to comment. I'm going to comment so slightly. Jesus had lived for 30 years at this point. Messiah. God's chosen one, sent to the world, immersed in history to show us what God is like. Yahweh of Israel who shook the mountains, coming in bodily form to rescue and heal us as individuals, to rescue and heal to be the culmination of Israel's story, to spill the banks of Israel and bring salvation to the world. Jesus has come. Remember his birth narratives, pretty dramatic, Holy Spirit all over him. And then 30 years of basic silence and obscurity. The transition moment is his baptism. And what happens? Something very significant happens at Jesus' baptism. The Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Can I say a touch more about this in just a minute? But we have the affirmation of the Father, we have the obedience of the Son, and we have the descent and filling of the Holy Spirit. This is crucial. Everything Jesus is going to do from this point forward is done in the power of, through the filling of the Holy Spirit. That's at his baptism. Immediately after that, after the, the affirmation of the Father, Jesus' hair is still wet from his baptism. The Holy Spirit takes him to a conference. He gets a fantastic microphone and he shares with people the insights he has about life in the Spirit. Sadly, he's driven into the waste places is what the translation is. He's driven into the wilderness and he faces this uh, basically uh, uh, tumultuous, horrific ordeal of temptation in the wilderness where, in a sense, as the new Adam, he is representing us in a way, not in the lavish paradise of the garden experiencing temptation, but in the waste places in the wilderness. He is tempted in the archetypal ways that every human being is tempted to get the deepest needs of our life met and not to take God into account in doing so. And in each case, Jesus responds with the word of God and pushes back against the temptation and holds on to the promises that have been made about him and, and, and makes it through. He endures and makes it through. And this is what it said, Luke 4. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. And in the greatest understatement in the New Testament, 
At the end of them, he was hungry. <laughs> Luke, a doctor, had to throw that in. <laughs> Super hungry after 40 with no food. So our passage begins, right? Luke 4, verses 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. Luke, the gospel writer, will not let us miss that what is happening, what Jesus is doing, is happening by the power of the Holy Spirit. So when he finally reads from the prophet, it's just reinforced all the more. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. The Spirit has anointed me. Whatever else the writer wants us to know about what Jesus has done, he did it filled by the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing. That's so important because that same Holy Spirit can fill you today. For many of you, that same Holy Spirit does fill you. And yet you are invited to, even, even commanded and instructed to ask for a continual, a, the, the, the tense in the New Testament is a present perfect filling of the Holy Spirit. So if you've been filled with the Spirit that fills Jesus, you can ask to be filled with the Spirit that fills Jesus this morning again. And we can live on the, on the continuous resources of the life of the Spirit. Jesus later in John 7 is gonna stand up on the last and greatest day of the feast and say, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink and rivers of living water will flow within them. It'll be like a perpetual, continuous stream in your life. What's he talking about there? The Holy Spirit. So, we're beginning to get a framework of how to understand this God who is holy and other and separate from us. We see a picture of it at Jesus' baptism. I mentioned this just a moment ago. But at his baptism, you have the Father's affirmation. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. What if one of the primary things God wanted you to know is you're my beloved son, you're my beloved daughter with whom I'm well pleased. This is before Jesus' public ministry, by the way. This is before his great accomplishments and his healing and his miracles. This is after he's lived in obscurity in his home as a stonemason for 30 years. And guess what? This is my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter with whom I'm well pleased. Well before you did anything great in the world. We have the father's affirmation. We have the son's obedience, right? John the Baptist doesn't want to, uh, doesn't want to baptize Jesus, but he, he says, I have to do this to fulfill why I've come. And he submits and surrenders. And literally the baptism itself is a picture of that surrender. And then so powerfully we have the spirit's filling. And it's no mistake at all, it's no coincidence that the Spirit descends in bodily form like a, like a dove. The Spirit is pictured in this story like a bird. This is the beginning of new creation. Later, the Apostle Paul is going to say Jesus was the firstborn from among the dead. In a sense, like a whole new way of being human is beginning with Jesus and spreading to those who are united to him by faith. An entirely new way of living in the kingdom of God. New creation is beginning, and this is where it is beginning. And the Spirit is descending like a bird. All the way back at the beginning of Torah, in Genesis 1.1, the first words in Hebrew... Genesis 1 1, there are seven words. I did a deep dive on this passage this week. Here's the words in Hebrew Berashit bara Elohim et hashamayim ve'et ha'aretz. Berashit bara Elohim et hashamayim ve'et ha'aretz. Isn't that so fun to say? I worked on it a long time. <laughs> 
not going to lie, many YouTube videos. Bereshit bara Elohim. Elohim is, is God. Elohim is the word for God. It's introduced to us in the first words of the scriptures. And right away, there's a mystery to it. Because Elohim is a plural word. And yet is used in this sentence in a singular way. Elohim is a creator. Bara, maybe the most fun word to say in all of those, means cr- created. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So just in the first few verses of Genesis 1, you have Elohim, somehow plural, and yet used in a singular way. You have Elohim is, is bara, is a creator. But then you have Elohim, it, the spirit hovered over the face of the waters. And the word literally is like the spirit fluttered, like it flapped its wings over the face of the waters, over the sky waters, the sky, the sky vault, over the formless void, the spirit hovered. So you, whatever Elohim is, Elohim is bara, a creator. Elohim is also a spirit who happens to flutter like a bird. And then later in creation, the, the, the activating power force in the, in, the, in the creation narrative is the word of God. So Elohim, plural and yet used as singular, is somehow bara, a creator, somehow a spirit hovering like a bird, and somehow a word, which, by the way, becomes flesh and dwells among us. Creator, spirit, word, Elohim. Father, Holy Spirit, Son. I think if you're making up a God, you don't make this one up. Too difficult to explain. (laughs) Many people have exhausted themselves trying to get their head around the idea of the Trinity. Elohim, singular and yet plural. Three persons in one God. And yet there's some powerful implications. We talk about them quite a lot. But that means in the center of God's very nature is love. Is relationship. (laughs) It's why, it's why most of us, if we're really honest and we get down to it, we'll start to say something about the most important thing in our lives is love, is relationship. If we have a lot of other things but we don't have that, we seem to be missing something crucial, something really, really significant. So you start to think about how do we, how do we even imagine this God is a powerful, holy, barah, creative force, but he is a being not simply of static power. He is not unaware of himself. Whatever the father is, he's not walking around unaware of himself. He has, in fact, a perfect reflection of his own goodness and beauty and creativity and glory right before him. God is so different than us, holy, that's what it means, set apart. But God is so perfectly aware of his own goodness because it is displayed right before him. The son was not the son was begotten, not made. So it wasn't like the father's like, I need a friend, I'll have a son. He always had the Son perfectly displayed before him. That's the other person, the second person of the Trinity. They communicate with one another with such love, such force, such beauty, such power, such poetry, that it is the Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. Jesus is going to pray in John 17, right before he goes to the cross, Father, give them a share of what we have shared before the foundations of the world. Before there was anything, when it was just us there, 
Let them be in on that. Let them have a share, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And the way we access that reality of being baptized into the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, immersed in relationship with the Trinity, is we have the Holy Spirit fill us because of what Jesus has done at the command and instruction and promise of the Father. The song we sing says, the same spirit that conquered the grave lives in me. That's a lot to take in in a middle school <laughs> on a cold morning, but that's true of you. That's your inheritance. That's your life if you're united to Christ. When I hear Jesus say, salvation is coming, freedom is coming, healing is coming, mercy is coming, love and favor are coming, I want it and I want to share it. But it is not going to be accomplished by me having the right ideas in my head about God. And it's not going to be accomplished by some sustained effort of my willpower. Many of us know we've had the right ideas about God in our head. We've tried with our willpower when we've fallen short over and over again. Jesus' life and ministry then and now happens by the Holy Spirit. So if we say Christianity is a relationship... But really, it functions like a belief system running in the background of our life. What happens is you begin to get disappointed or you begin to get apathetic or you begin to get both, <laughs> disappointed and apathetic. Because it feels like it's just a belief system somewhere over here that doesn't have a ton of relevance for my everyday, going, my everyday goings on because I'm treating it like just a belief system running in the background of my mind instead of the fire of the Holy Spirit alive in, in my life. If you pay lip service to the Holy Spirit, right, we raise our hands in worship, but our life actually runs on willpower and risk management, then you're gonna start to doubt the promises of God and you're gonna think this whole thing is pretty disappointing. It's gonna feel plastic, it's gonna feel unreal. The way it comes alive for us is the person of the Spirit alive in our very being. So I'm gonna make a couple of statements. I was gonna say simple statements, but they're not necessarily. But they're crucial for us to grasp together. If we're gonna walk together over the next five weeks into the ministry of Jesus, there's gonna be times where you're gonna feel inspired and you're gonna want to go out and do something, and you absolutely should. But the only way that thing is going to be sustained is if you're not just running off of ideas and willpower, but you're running by the life of the Spirit alive in your life. The Holy Spirit means your relationship with God is not sustained by willpower alone. The Holy Spirit means your relationship with God is for the whole person and not just your mind. The Holy Spirit is your seal, translator, comforter, guide and access to the resurrection life. The Holy Spirit can enable us to live like Jesus. So we're gonna spend the next five weeks talking about how did Jesus live, how can we live like Jesus, and this is foundational to it. The Holy Spirit enables the Jesus life. The Holy Spirit filling us is what makes us like Christ. Just over two years ago, before one of our services, I had an interesting experience uh, that I will never forget because of what came next. 
we were having our normal pre-service prayer meeting where we kind of go over the basic ordinary uh, order of service and talk through what's going on. And the, and the pre-service prayer people come in at the beginning of the meeting and they stand there and sometimes we say, hey, was there something that showed up in pre-service prayer that you think we should be aware of as we're going into the service? But this week they didn't do that. In fact, they came in disruptive uh, and, 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 and enthusiastic. They, they came into the meeting where the rest of us are sort of like eating bagels and like seeing if there's one more cinnamon roll left. And they came in singing and worshiping. They had clearly been having a good time in pre-service prayer. They had been worshiping God, experiencing the presence of God. So the rest of us kind of had to take note and kind of go with the temperature they were setting in the room. So we stopped chewing our bagels and joined in. And during that time, we worshiped and we prayed in a way that I would describe as slightly more passionate than we normally do at 1010 at the pre-service prayer meeting. We're trying to get through a couple of things, and instead we sort of put everything on hold and just worship for a little bit. And as we were worshiping, something happened to me that doesn't happen terribly often, but it happened in a very vivid way, and so I paid attention to it. We were, we were praying, we were singing, and I got a picture in my head. And it's like remedial prophetic picture, as I've, I've learned from other people. This is like what everybody starts with, apparently. It's some sort of water image. But um, I saw a waterfall falling off a height above me and falling right down onto the stones beside me. And I was standing, and as the water was hitting the stones, it was splashing me. So I was getting secondhand splash from the water. This is a picture in my mind. I was not actually getting wet. And I felt like God was saying, your relationship to me and this church's relationship to me has been you've experienced my spirit splashing secondhand on you and you've gotten wet. I want to invite you to come under the stream, to come under the waterfall. And I thought, that sounds amazing. That sounds actually rather poetic. I couldn't have come up with that on my own. And this is beautiful. So I shared with the people who were already primed. They're already singing, hands raised. We're worshiping God. I think God wants us to come under the waterfall of his. And yes, what does this mean? It means we're not going to just have secondhand accounts of the power and presence of God. We're going to walk into this together. Today in our time, may we experience the fullness of all that God has for me. I shared it in that pre-service meeting and there was resonance. Amen. Let's do this. I even shared it that week in the service that was a response and it was like fantastic and guess what after that kind of things were like eh. like next week wasn't like the best week we've ever had or anything like that it wasn't like everything changed from that moment forward it was a really powerful moment it was significant it to me it was like a way of learning to hear from God in a way that I don't I'm like much more like give me the Bible and then give me the Greek commentary and let me parse the words and look at it together I like to use my mind and here God was sort of going around that system a little bit and, and helping me to encounter the spirit in a different way A few weeks after that experience, I took a trip to London. Many of you have heard me tell stories from this trip. I'm not trying to bore you with another recount, but some people haven't heard it, so relax. <laughs> I took a, tr a trip to London, and um, in that five-day trip, God revealed himself to me in some of the most powerful ways I've ever experienced. It was like as, as powerful an experience of God as when I first came, became a Christian, when I, way back in the day. It was the most intense I've ever experienced, the presence of God. And I thought I was going on a fairly pedestrian networking trip to see if our church might have some partnerships in the Anglican community. Does that sound thrilling? No, it doesn't. 
And yet I experienced the spirit of God in such a profound way. I had pastors who didn't know me at all call me out in the middle of a 400 person worship service and, and have me stand and then said specific words that my father and mentors have said to me. And it was so specific that I like dropped into my seat and wept like a child. First night there, that's my first experience. After that, I, I took an Uber across town to another church. Afterwards, some of those church leaders were praying with us, and people shared some things with, that, that I, I didn't know these people at all. We just had like, there, there was a wine and cheese plate, and we didn't introduce ourselves, and they started praying for us, and it was, some of the, it was like six months of therapy in two hours. It was like God was, was revealing in prayer these deep-seated things that needed to be dredged up and spoken about and even healed in my life. Ways that I had never quite felt like I fit in as a pastor. Ways that I never felt like I quite fit the mold of a leader. Ways that I felt like I'm always gonna struggle with these certain things and I'll never be. And it was just like, God was like, I see it. I know you. I love you. And, and the experience over and over and over again was being seen and known. We went out to the English countryside. And, and one of the strongest ways uh, I had God communicate is, is we were in this prayer meeting. It was ridiculously simple, an ugly conference room with terrible carpet, and they pushed the seats to the side, and we were just standing there saying, come Holy Spirit. And the people who, were, who needed God, uh, God to minister to them were standing there with their hands open, and the like, more mature people were moving around the room, laying hands on people and praying for them. And I began to experience the presence of God and I thought about this pastor calling me out and I thought about the words that, that had been spoken by these strangers and how I'd felt so seen and known. And I was standing there and I was thinking, maybe this is it. And I thought the waterfall picture came back into my mind and I thought, God, this is it. I'm experiencing the waterfall thing. This is why you spoke it to me a couple of weeks before. I'm encountering you in a new way. I'm being drawn under the waterfall. And I thought, this is fantastic. I'm standing there, eyes closed, worshiping, sensing God's presence. Like, I wanna raise my hands. I wanna cry a little bit. This is amazing. This gentle Englishman comes up behind me, doesn't know me, I've never spoken to him. He puts his hand on my shoulder, doesn't know what I'm thinking about. And he leans in and he says, son, don't forget to drink the water. Don't forget to drink the water. And I just dropped. I dropped to the ground and never experienced the presence of God like that. I burst out laughing because it was like God had told a two-month joke and given this bloke the, the punchline. I felt so seen and known, and I've never had this happen before. I was overwhelmed with a fit of laughter that was obnoxious and loud and went on for about five minutes. Pouring, joyous, freeing, healing laughter. I laid on the ground and died laughing for five minutes. When I got off the ground, everyone had left the room and gone to lunch. Just me sitting there laying on the ground <laughs> laughing. Never felt the presence of God like that in my entire life. And you know, when I came home, things got harder, not easier. It had been a tough year already. Trinity Grace had, had gone through a massive shift. I had, had had to work more hours that year than I ever had. I was exhausted. We'd been through some tr trauma in our, in our church, and I was just like, I just needed that. That was God healing me onto a new season. God bless you, God. Thank you for that hilarious joke about the water. And instead, God was packing my bag for the next part of the journey, which was gonna be way more difficult. 
I thought what God was healing old wounds, and, and certainly maybe he was, I think he was, but he was also preparing me. And we as a community, I personally walked through immense pain and tragedy shortly after that. I saw examples of Jesus' ministry in my life like I never had before. Salvation, freedom, healing, mercy, love and favor, his resolutions, the hallmarks of his ministry. And I saw them in the middle of burden, pain, confusion, tragedy, grief, and doubt. How will you sustain salvation, freedom, healing, mercy, love, and favor in the middle of burdens, pain, confusion, tragedy, grief, and doubt? It won't be because you have a couple of good ideas about God and you've got a pretty good willpower. It will not work. You have to have the Holy Spirit. We have to drink the water. We have to step under the stream. And it's not like it's just for certain pastoral people. It is for all of you. Every one of you can be filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. And you think about this. However much you've experienced God up to this point in your life, what if your most powerful experiences of being seen and known and loved by God are ahead of you? You've been discipled by disappointment and apathy and distraction and discouragement for the last stretch, but what if the most powerful experiences of the presence of Yahweh, Barah, Elohim, are ahead of you? This spirit is available. It, fe- it fills Jesus, and because of what Jesus has done, it can fill you, Trinity Grace Church. It can fill me. We don't have to muddle along in perpetual, uh, ongoing disappointment. We can be lifted up in the middle of burdens and pain and grief and doubt and tragedy and all of it. It's real life, and yet shining in the middle of it is the living water that is like a steady stream, like an, a geyser within you. We cannot live how we were called to on our own. We cannot love how we are called to on our own. Good news for the poor, freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, release for the oppressed, proclaiming God's favor. All of this happens by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit means your relationship with God is not sustained by willpower alone. The Holy Spirit means your relationship with God is for the whole person, not just your mind. The Holy Spirit is your seal, translator, comforter, guide, and access to the resurrection life. The Holy Spirit can enable us to live like Jesus. The life and death and resurrection of Jesus means that you can be filled with the Holy Spirit if you ask on the account of Jesus. Have I done enough to be filled by the Spirit? Am I that type of person? Could God appear to me in this way? Would God possibly, I'm not really like that. You're not coming on your account. You're coming on Christ's account. And guess what? There's enough. He's qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. Remember when Jesus was crucified and the veil was torn? What a bizarre thing to mention in that moment. The veil was torn because the Shekinah glory of God was behind that veil, the presence of God. And guess what? I thought for so many years it meant the veil is torn. We can go into the center of the temple. Uh Uh-uh. The veil is torn because the presence of God is coming out to fill us like the temple. The veil is torn because you and I can be adopted as sons and daughters and the spirit can cry within our spirit that we are children of God and we say, Abba, Father. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection 
qualifies you to be filled with the Holy Spirit if you will call on his name. And being filled with the Holy Spirit qualifies you, empowers you to live like Jesus. The Spirit leads us into salvation, freedom, healing, mercy, love, and favor. The life and ministry of Christ by the Spirit. Let me pray for you. Come Holy Spirit, I pray. Do what only you can do. The words of this sermon are limited. The reach of your power is unlimited. The words of this sermon are general. The reach of your love is so specific and tender and caring. Will you communicate your personal love to each person here, God? I know that I don't have to twist your arm in prayer to do that. You're longing to. Would you remove any barrier, any discouragement, distraction, doubt, fear, apathy that is keeping someone from experiencing the the tender personal love and care of your spirit? Would you sweep it away right now? And would you make your people receptive to your voice, receptive to your love? Pour out your spirit on your people. Would you show us how to respond? Would you fill us with your spirit so we can live the way of Jesus? Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.